0: How do you say
1: hi, folks, in Greek?
2: Yes, but yeah. So the
0: <laughs> uh, hey, folks, we are, the un- <laughs> we are the unsung podcast. I am one of the hosts, Mark Fraser. This guy, this guy. Are you trying out a new bit? I'm trying out a new bit. Hey, folks, we are the unsung we podcast. We are the unsung podcast.
1: I think you'll find, Mark, that it goes, hi, folks. Hi, folks.
2: Like scolding you.
1: No, yeah. Just Dad, voice for
2: listening to the podcast.
1: <laughs> don't, I don't know. Oh, who's that? Who's that? <laughs>
0: That's not Vicky or Ferruccio or Craig or Weaver. <laughs> or Weaver. This week we are joined by our good friend Marissa Androvic. Marissa is uh, an academic.
2: Ah, oh, barely. I'm, <laughs> in, I'm in academia. I would not call myself an academic.
1: Marissa is a punk fan. Let's let's be I'm- clear about it our other big punk fan is also an academic yeah that's true we have the doctor (laughs) of punk as well Ferruccio I
2: think there's a correlation here
1: correlation that's a very academic one (laughs) (laughs) there you go as if to underline the point damn it Um, and also I just want to put a pin in this I'm aware that this could be sabotage Mm -hmm. because some time ago now Marissa was in the audience for our live pop punk mixtape where I more or less took a big shit on everything she likes (laughs) (laughs) And this could all have been like a long play. A long con. A long con (laughs) at Revenge. So I've no idea what's going to happen in this show. But if if I sense things going going off the rails...
2: I appreciated that your arguments were very, very well structured. There you go. Uh, Doesn't mean you are right though.
1: Snidey, snidey but well structured. Doesn't mean you were right. That's what would be in my yearbook anyway. Snidey, but well structured. (laughs) Okay, and if you listen to last week's show, you will know... That Marissa has teed up a Bobby Dazzler of a subject for this this week's discussion. Uh, before we remind you of that, before we get to that, Mark, we got any of that admin stuff?
0: We do. So I want to give a big shout out to the people of Norway and the people of Ma- of Oman putting us up in the fucking podcast charts in the iTunes podcast charts riding high in the, uns- in the iTunes podcast charts
1: so when we finally get round to doing this hair metal mixtape it's going to be in Oman Oman
0: yeah <laughs> so yeah thanks to, if, if you're from Oman I'm from Norway and you've tuned in Thanks. That is definitely a Russian bot with a VPN, isn't it? (laughs) No,
2: but good for you. These are two very diverse
0: audiences.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean... Diversity win, Marks. As a podcast comprised, by
0: and large, of of white males. Consumed, by and large, by white males. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, thanks to the populations entirely of both those countries. I'm sure they've listened to this show. Uh, And also, some further admin... We're about to send out some mail Which is fucking great We love sending that mail Straight white mail Straight white mail Yeah we're going to send out some records To some lovely people Actually it is straight and white cause it's a white envelope And hopefully it'll arrive flat Hopefully. <laughs> oh Jesus uh, Yeah so straight, you're, Some people are going to get a straight white mail <laughs> At some point over the course of the next couple of weeks Because you know, we ship internationally as well And then we're also going to be sending out our digital Our lovely digital stuff um, soon too So what am I talking about? Well we have a record club It's the Unsung Record Club You can go to our Patreon Patreon.com forward slash Pod, And you can subscribe over there If you don't like albums but you just want to give us some money Who doesn't like albums? Well you know the fuck you listening this for <laughs> uh, four quid a month will get you in the door and get you all the bonus episodes and and your lovely access all areas facebook group talking about bonus episodes we better get our finger out we really should get our finger out uh, if you do like records then uh, 15 pound a month will get you a, a, a different digital record every month allow me to interject
1: obviously most people myself included make use of streaming services So, what use is a digital record? Well, I'll tell you what use it is, because if you subscribe in the digital tier, we're buying a digital record from the bands and the little independent labels that put them out. For that download, they will get... and Honestly, I'm going to have to work out the exact number, but I don't think I'm exaggerating to say they will get something like 5,000 times as much revenue as they would if you were streaming the record. It's it's possibly even more. I'll try and have that worked out by next week. But the unsung digital tier, you can, Bandcamp app's yeah, band good, app is pretty good, isn't it? Right? Yeah, so yeah. you can use the, the files through the Bandcamp app, and we strongly recommend that because there's loads of stuff on Bandcamp that you can't get on other services. Uh, but it's just a really good way to help subsidise these releases uh, in a way that streaming simply is not going to do.
0: Yeah, uh, and if you want to subsidise these bands even more, and also give a little love to us, um, we've also got a, like I said, a straight white male tier, which is uh, the Analog Record Club. And for it's a sliding scale. Basically, if you live in if you live in UK, it's forty pounds. It's higher if you live all over the world. The good news is that most of the
1: vinyl is black vinyl. Yeah. So whilst it's superficially white in the way it's presented
0: You know that behind all that It's black, just like rock and roll <laughs> Yeah, that's true uh, And we'll send you a, diff- a Completely different record to the digital one And you'll get both every month And it's, it's a cool thing it is and it helps everybody out
2: It sounds pretty cool Yeah
0: mm-hmm. So let's move on Marissa tell us about you. Uh, <laughs> the
1: sound <laughs> of breaking glass Screeching brakes and, and screaming children <laughs>
0: Yeah uh, So tell us a little bit about Your credentials And then why you picked this album Yeah How did you get in here?
2: <laughs> so I did a Masters In Music Industries And Popular Music Studies Back in 2018 So I graduated in 2019 Remember 2019 That was amazing yeah, That was a um, golden era wasn't it? <laughs> So I wrote my thesis on um, art artist separation and I specifically talked about emo because it felt very topical at the time because Mm. it's a scene that has um, been accused of a lot of misogyny, rightfully so. For me, it was a way to make sense of my own feelings because the Me Too movement was at its height when I was writing my thesis and I just thought it needed to be explored. And I'm now doing a PhD, it's my first year, so I'm just into the process of like, writing my preview, and it's on the artists we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a comparison between the third and fourth wave of emo, mm-hmm. um, with a focus on the women in the scene as political subsects and as fans, and I have a special interest in issues like physical and sexual safety in music venues, which will be interesting but challenging to explore.
1: Absolutely mm-hmm. Yeah. I think sometimes When you're feeling pessimistic Emo and the Me Too movement Can almost feel <laughs> antithetical <laughs> You know Yeah Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's had its moments uh, As a movement But I'm sure that's going to come up In the context of yeah. this mm-hmm. Because You have Thrown the Cat Among the Pigeons uh, By choosing which album?
2: Um, the Devil and God Are Raising Inside Me By Brand New Which right. is their third album Yeah
1: By brand new, by brand new, new. brand new, you may recall, featured on our special cancelled next tape. Mm -hmm. Boys get cancelled. Boys get (laughs) cancelled. Like two, three weeks ago. Yeah, uh yeah. Um, I think we managed to tiptoe around any major pitfalls, and nobody said anything about it yet. No, I've not. I've not been publicly shamed yet. (laughs) Um, But on that show, we devised a rating system. Yes. Uh, The first tier, I believe, was Phil Collins. Because he's a Tory And that's fine Because he's just a Tory he just, he just don't like his political opinions or maybe a bit conservative Or like whatever Um Second tier Was Kasabian Is it Tim? Tom? Tom Tam Tom <laughs> <laughs> Don't think you, Maybe it is Tam <laughs> Uh The third tier Was Jesse Lacey mm-hmm. Yeah Jesse Lacey The man himself Slash Ryan Adams Um I, No I, I mean I, I would yeah, I think that's actually I'd maybe refute that Yeah me too Um <laughs> beyond that we had michael jackson and then mark managed to up the ante to a fifth tier which was ian watkins Mm -hmm. and on reflection he was probably right i guess as hard as it is to believe yeah but yeah so jesse lacy has already featured in our discussion of briefly problematic behavior Mm -hmm. within music we'll maybe look at that in a little bit of detail uh We should, however, introduce the band brand new for people who are either unfamiliar or maybe loosely familiar. Because I I think I was loosely familiar, but hadn't actually bothered to disambiguate which of these very hard done by young whiny men uh, brand new were in particular. Mm hmm. Would you like me to run through their history briefly? Yeah. Bring the crowd up to speed. By all means. Bring Norway and Roman right on the the current page. Okay, so they were formed in the year 2000 in Merrick, a little hamlet place in Long Island in New York. Jesse Lacey was guitar and vocals. Vincent Accardi was guitar and vocals. Garrett Tierney was bass and vocals. And Brian Lane was drums. Am I right in thinking that those four remained throughout the duration of the band? That's right, yeah. yeah. Which is not... A common thing, as we've discovered. Um, they also added uh, a fifth member, Derek Sherman, from 2005, on guitar, keys, and vocal duties. And I believe they brought in an extra set of hands on live percussion in the form of Benjamin Homola. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name "brand new" was apparently chosen in an ironic sense because they felt there was nothing about the band that was actually breaking new ground. Spoiler alert: our <laughs> agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, especially in the early days, um, the early yeah, days, yeah. Uh, they were signed to Triple Crown Records in 2001 after their second
0: show, mm-hmm. so uh, outdoing Franz Ferdinand by two. Well, I mean that 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 whole Long Island, New York scene at that time was absolutely buzzing. You know, um, I think Jesse played bass for Taking Back Sunday before joined he joined. I think
2: co-founded Taking yeah. Back Sunday. Uh-huh. Can't regret, can't you just fall
0: he was friends with people who were in like the movie Life and Crime Mysterio and stuff like that you know mm-hmm. so um, so they, they'd already played shows like Midtown and Glasgow, I believe mm-hmm. early on as well I mean that was a really really rich period when it comes to emo I guess and you probably know more about that like that area was huge so it doesn't surprise I'll, me
2: but also I think it was around the time when emo started becoming a buzzword by music media so um, all the Uh, big record labels were went into a beating war to get everyone everyone that sounded vaguely emo Mm. into the roster. Yeah, a
1: lot of those names are going to pop up. Yeah.
2: So I guess before we
1: start taking a little tour through their history, uh, Marissa, in a nutshell, why this album? What does it mean to you?
2: Um, First of all, I discovered that album long after it came out. I think it came out in 2006. Mm -hmm. And started listening to them in 2010 and i was not in a very good place mentally and at that point no album had spoken to me to to the emotional level that um the devil and god did yeah it just just resonated with me
1: so it's yeah. like it's pretty well celebrated but i guess the suggestion is that you know, a bit like we did with Downward Spiral, despite the plaudits, it's still under-celebrated for what... I it think it's a mean. critic
2: favourite, but not a fan favourite.
1: Ah, okay.
0: Give me some insight here. What is a fan favourite with this band?
2: I'd say like the second album.
0: Yeah, the days of entendre is, because of its place in the in, in the pantheon of, of emo music in general, it, it often gets much more acclaim. It's I was speaking to a few friends about it, about them, you know, over the over the course of last week, and they would all say that this is the second best brand new album because Deja Entendu is the first.
1: Can but I just make a point here? Deja Entendu means already seen. Yeah, it's like uh, the
0: reverse of déjà vu,
1: which I guess is consistent with the name in the sense of we're breaking no new ground. This has yeah. already been seen. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. and it still holds a place in a lot of people of a certain age, i.e., the age that I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, certain age's heart, I think.
1: It's nostalgia, yeah I mean, it is, they, they, uh-huh. they seem
0: like a heavy duty
1: nostalgia band For a mm, lot of people
0: Definitely um, And I think they did they, they did a lot to, to kind of move out of that and, and, and they did change their sound, as we'll talk about And they changed like, fundamentally how they write music as well You know, um, they were always a band that were constantly in flux, I think Despite the long periods of time between their records After this, well, actually, after like I think the gaps kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger between albums but yeah, that like Marissa's right. It's it's definitely not seen as being the fan favorite, even though a lot of people mm. say it. As, or think of it as their best album. Mm-hmm. Critics certainly do.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I would. I think as someone that's only got a passing awareness of this band, it's interesting that this album had very few songs in it that I recognised. Even though the cover was very very evocative of a certain period in music, I remember loads of people liking it. It was that Deja Vu that had the songs that I knew from mm-hmm. you know going to the cat house or you know that kind of period of like going out dancing indie rock punk rock clubs and stuff. So yeah, there there is something about it that's quite understated, and we're we're going to dig into it a bit more. But as you say, it's also quite different to to where they started and where they ended up. So let's let's look at that a little bit as mm-hmm. well. We mentioned that they were signed to Triple Crown in 2001 shortly after that they brought out Your Favourite Weapon, their first album. Which, straight off the bat, I have to say is, for me, by my tastes very deliberate and tedious kind of derivative pop punk of mm-hmm. that era what do you guys make of it
2: yeah no i i agree it's just it's very angsty also i think at that point in time um bands were just copying its other and mm. they're not really speaking from the heart and uh, they were speaking about issues that were popular at the time Literally, mm. um girls breaking yeah. their hearts <laughs>
1: i've seen it described in some corners as a, a bitter tirade about breakups and ex-girlfriends mm-hmm But I mean it was generally quite well received, critically, Um, it sold about 50,000 as well, it led them to get tours with Taking Back Sunday and Finch. Apparently it was originally recorded and then the hard drive was either lost or damaged So they had to re-record the entire record again I didn't know that See, as somebody that's had to redo stuff you know, we had to redo podcasts, mm-hmm. and just the fucking feeling of despair at having <laughs> to try to replicate that again is just <laughs> horrific. Remember that Millie yeah. Jackson thing? Yeah. Oh my god. Um The Cocktail Twins. <laughs> oh god. Um, uh, Jesse Lacey cited his influences at the time as being bands like Lifetime, Foo Fighters, The Cars, and The Smiths. Because it's yeah. quite diverse, but. Despite those being diverse and quite cool sounding influences, it sounds like pop punk of that era. Uh, There are also some pretty interesting lyrics, Uh, Sudden Death in Carolina, the third track what difference does this difference in age make? I know how it ends. She'll kill me quick, so call 911. I'm already dead, but somebody should be caught and held responsible for this bloody mess. I really like that if you look up the video that, there's a comment under it that says, you can't
0: say you didn't warn us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, I think there are more egregious lyrics on Deja Tonde, to be honest. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, you know, on the cancelled episodes, we spoke. I, st- I mentioned a little bit about everything you ever walked up with Silence by Glassjaw. Which I think Lyrically falls very much Within the same purview As this album
2: And I think they have Apologised for those lyrics They wrote Yeah
0: Well um, Daryl Yeah Daryl definitely has Um, But I'd heard some songs from this Way back in the day And it it just Even though I was into pop punk This just didn't grab me I never really liked Taking Back Sunday that much either Apart from the odd song So There was a kind of Emo or punk Or pop punk Which just bounced right off me and this is this was kind this is kind of it you know and um, i says t- came to reappreciate really the album after getting another later career and going back and going oh i can totally see how that's a throwback now and i really like the fact that they've progressed like significantly away from this like made made a lot of really conscious decisions to actually grow up you know i mm-hmm. think
2: or maybe they um, just grew up
0: yeah totally you know <laughs> they literally did grow yeah, up. they did yeah. grow up but a lot of artists I'm taking back sunday you know haven't and you know, I'm still doing the mm. same thing, damn near fucking t- twenty five years later. Do you know what I mean? See, is this is the album with seventy times seven? Yeah, which is it. about Brand. It's about Taking Back Sunday.
1: Yeah, he had a feud with the guitarist John Nolan, and that song was kind of Jesse's side of it. And then I believe Taking Back Sunday or Nolan reciprocated with a song called "There's No I in Team." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow.
0: There's are two really famous songs from that, era. You know, there's no I team. It's the, probably the biggest Taken Back Sunday song. Yeah. It's fucking huge. Top, I was, top three for yeah, yeah. sure. I would still play at Club Nights nice and it still sends people like bouncing off the walls. And through, I'd still go to I mean, the toilet. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't even be in a club, mate. <laughs> <laughs> or if you were, you'd be in a toilet being sick for the, like three hours. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the lyrics, there's a lyric that's in that song. It's a, your are brick, it's a small on my back. I think is actually taken directly from a Taken Back Sunday song. As a way of like ribbing them. There's definitely lyric in that song, which references directly taken back Sunday. And that's
2: probably still the least problematic song on that album. It man. definitely is, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Talking about potentially problematic albums, and in 2003, they followed it with Déjà Entendu. Uh,
2: Very good.
1: Thank you. Uh, they brought in some more musical influences, <laughs> lyrically, diversified quite a bit. Now, hmm. Well, they believed it did. Let's put it that way. In <laughs> interviews, they were like, okay, lyrically, we've tried to get away from just complaining about breakups and stuff. Mm. Uh, did they? Are they talking First shit?
2: First of all, they did more than complaining. They they implied physical harm uh, yeah. as um, as in the means of taking revenge upon the women yeah. that, that wronged them.
0: I am hell-bent and all of my revenge. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, which, <laughs> again, very common theme of that era. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah, that lyrics in Garnica. so... Is that the name of the pen? Guernica? Yeah. Guernica. Guernica, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's I think that's the
1: first line in the it's song. good that you managed to diminish such a beautiful, <laughs> profound painting with some
0: petty bullshit. <laughs> what do you think of that album, Marissa?
2: Um, it's my third favourite. Okay. I love it. I think it's very Katsu. It has many issues. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of its lyrical content once you contextualise it after what happened and the allegations against say, I think it's the hardest one to listen to mm. um, there's some very very graphic references that if you if you listen to these out of context they amount to nothing mm. but in the light of these allegations they become distressing
0: have you got any examples that you mm. would like to share with the class well there is one song <laughs>
2: I don't know if that's still the case but if you googled brand new rape song mm. uh, me versus Maradona versus yes. Elvis yeah. would come up I almost feel sorry for what I'm gonna do And your hair Smells the smoke Who will
0: cast The first th- You don't want to have anything associated with the words rape song associated with any of your music at any point unless A- you're Marlon indeed. Manson Indeed
1: <laughs> Yeah, The interesting thing about that song in particular though it's number 8 in the record it, it actually is one of the ones that captures most authentically that kind of far era emo you know, the does. sense of mm-hmm. like delicacy and, mm-hmm. and like quite loud dynamics it, mm. it, it isn't as pop punky and boring it's it's I, I didn't dig it but it's much closer to the emo that i was not mm-hmm. you know what i mean it stood out another one that stood out was that sixth track the boy who blocked his own shot mm-hmm. uh, because it really sounds like the fucking song yellow by coldplay <laughs> oh my god <laughs> sing it try it right
2: if it makes you less sad
1: i will die by your hand Find out what you want. Already know what I am. Sing yellow along with that, that tune next time you're listening to it. <laughs> Um, that,
0: that's the acoustic one, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I'm telling you, it's, it's right in there. Uh, the sales in that record, though, they passed 500,000, which is quite a lot in 2006. Mm-hmm. It was after that sort of yeah. 2003, 2004 collapse, but still pretty decent. Um, that's why they get the, the attention of a major label for their next album. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of tunes in that, as I said, that I was familiar with, even with my very passing knowledge of them. The quiet things that no one ever knows. <laughs> I think that's a classic, that song. Made made a big impact on Mm -hmm. radio. One thing I think is interesting about that, when we consider Jesse Lacey and this legacy of misogyny, the video for that had this narrative about heroic masculinity. You know, they're in a car crash, and Jesse Lacey's dying soul is unable to depart until he knows that his injured girlfriend is, is going to be okay. And there's just something very self-congratulatory and sort of narcissistic yeah. about that video in hindsight. It, it, in, in a lot of ways, it, it's actually a really good avatar for the emo movement in, in, in certain eras. Like that that sense of wounded male nobility, and it's, oh God, that video really sits in my head as being a depiction of that, you know? And Sick Transit Gloria, Glory Fades...
0: Sick Transit Gloria is about taking advantage of somebody, so
2: Yeah. It's, but I think it's told from the male perspective.
0: Mm. It's it's actually interesting that that felt that, that song title can't, like quotes the film Rushmore directly because the film Rushmore is about this I mean, if you, I get, I'm sure you guys have seen it, right? Um, I I've,
2: never finished it. Uh,
0: Only about 40 times, yeah. mate. Only about 40 well, times. Well, for people that haven't seen it, it's about a, basically this boy, this, literally a boy who falls in love with an older woman and tries everything they can, including the hilarious give a one-upmanship with Bill Murray to get her, um, which is kind of the opposite of what Jesse Lacey <laughs> <laughs> ended, up, <laughs> ended up doing.
2: <laughs> the um, I'm not sure if it's that song that um, was written about a woman he proposed to
1: was her name gloria
2: (laughs) i can't say with certainty um although the theme tries to do something good um, I feel like it just ends up blaming women on the basis of their promiscuity so again thanks for nothing The, the
1: video sees him as some sort of human voodoo doll and it's all to do with, like, control and manipulation in the video, apparently, and according to him. Uh, both of those singles made the UK Top 40, which is pretty good going for an emo band. It led to an appearance in Jimmy Kimmel, which was a big step in the band's development. It also, that, that album, stepped him up to the realm of sharing bills with Newfound Glory. Fuck me, I don't like that band. <laughs> Link 182. Fuck me, I don't like that band. Good Charlotte. <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> Fallout Boy. My Chemical Romance, I'm running out of rude words, um, and more, but I mean, those are like massive, massive shows to be playing in that year, that's Mm -hmm. like, top tier for that time. Um, They topped a lot of year-end lists with that album as well, and then earned a move to Interscope uh, in 2006, prior to the release of Devil and God. So obviously, we're going to come back to Devil and God uh, in detail, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but... About 2008 They started um, This Procrastinate Music Traitors Mm -hmm. Is that right? The Mm -hmm. the, the name of their label Pretty odd But First signing was Musician Kevin Devine Kevin Devine, who would actually later withdraw from one of their tours once the allegations against Jesse Lacey
0: arose, he was actually playing guitar for them, like as well a third guitar for them. Oh, really? The time, yeah. Third mm-hmm. guitar, fucking hell. Well, I mean, you, you can hear it on like "The Devil and God" and "Daisy." <laughs> oh, they need that, mate. They need that. It's around that time as well that I think the bands. This
1: is this is 2008 onwards. Uh, it's around this time when the bands that they tended to be seen with. You know touring festivals and that sort of. I think sort of matures again, gets a bit more sophisticated. Um, you know the newfound glory pop punk thing are f- sort of fading away a little bit, and they're being replaced with like Coheed and Cambria and Manchester Orchestra and bands like that that have got a little bit more of an indie credibility about them. Albeit maybe not as conducive to cat house bangers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Reflected in the albums, I would say. Um, 2009, uh, they bring out an album that is, I can't remember the original title, it was, it was much longer, but it was retitled to Daisy. Mm hmm. they played Glastonbury that year i think and announced the release date of that album which had already been delayed it's mixed with a guy called Dave Sardy D Sardy who's been behind a lot of really good bands and albums including Fars War and Solutions it, it actually sounds good in terms of audio quality of that album but i find it really quite ploddy uh, uh, in terms of compositions uh, the fourth track in it gasoline's a bit unusual has a slightly manic so it's almost like the band paper chase a little bit <laughs> And it goes to some interesting places. I've got some interesting ideas in that one. Uh, And the fifth one you stole is frustrating. I think because it starts off in a way that feels like it could have evolved into a really great song. The opening vocal melody is really good in that, and then they just take it in a direction that just seems like a really poor choice based on what they'd started with.
0: I really like gasoline. It's probably one of my favourite uh, brand new songs. I like it at the bottom because it's it feels it feels woozy. It feels like you're at the bottom of the sea because it's kind of undulating the whole time. At the Jesse will often do a thing where he'll pick like a six note to sing And it just sounds pure nasty mm-hmm. You know when he does that and bought a bride Like bar a bride It's like pretty cool and That's something with Kirk Cobain But you know what I mean <laughs> I, I think we could ask people to comment on what that sounds like I don't know if Kirk Cobain would be the first one come up
1: with. <laughs> On on the following tour, uh, uh, December 2010, they were playing more than 12,000 people in London, supported by Glassjaw and Thrice, and I think that's a really interesting illustration of the way that fortunes had reversed, you know, that that Glassjaw now opening for them. Uh, They got to number six in the US Billboard 200 that year. Uh, Future plans, though, started to become a little bit uncertain. The band were a little bit vague in interviews about where they were going to go, what they were going to do. There was an initial booking to record another album in 2012 And I think they ended up Sort of subdividing The booking And using it for Side projects And personal projects And stuff Uh, By 2014 It was announced That they were writing New material As well as building Their own studio Apparently And then From 2015 and 2016 They released Two standalone singles One called Is it Mean M E N E. Mm -hmm. And then I am a nightmare, which is very, very much
0: foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, both—they're both really good songs, actually, as well. Yeah, I
2: love I am a nightmare.
1: Uh, which brought them up to 2017 and what would be their last album, Science Fiction. Another album that, again, I think plods a bit. It's quite stodgy, in my humble opinion. Um, still vaguely emo and alternative but it's starting to stray into sort of M.O.R. territory, it's getting a bit into the middle age spread the fourth track in that, Could Never Be Heaven it's quite a nice understated wee song
0: I was drowning in the lake, over and it was
2: released
1: to Considerable acclaim at the time, regardless of my opinions on it, Uh, and was their first number one album, I believe.
0: Let Me Up, it's it's got a really weird long intro, and then I think I like it when they do understated things. Like, Mm -hmm. Let Me Up is a good example of that. Same logic is out of mana. But um, I was saying this to, to Marissa earlier on actually um, this, this album for me sounds like they're just trying to take the best ideas they have From like Daisy and the Devil and God And make an album out of them And it doesn't really sound like it's got heart on it It's anymore. a big
1: delay as well You know 2009 to 2017 There's maybe a sense of, guys, if we don't do something now, we're never
0: going to do something. Mm -hmm. And they started to release merchandise, basically saying that we're going to break up in 2018. I saw yeah. I saw Mm -hmm. that. was hinted at, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Fortunately or unfortunately, that never happened because they just stopped being a band for for some reason. So I guess before we get into the the, the weeds of this, there
1: will be people listening uh, that are aware That Jesse Lacey's kind of problematic, but maybe not aware why and to what extent, as I said, we put him in tier three out of five tiers. You can see if you agree with us, I suppose. So, rumours around Lacey's troubling history of behaviour regarding young fans began to surface following the release of science fiction in 2017, I believe, Uh, by late. 2018 there were multiple allegations and they were being reported in the music press in particular, with reporters, I think it was the reporters at Pitchfork uh, claiming to have verified the reported incidents with a number of friends of the victims and also with an individual who was close to the band herself, who said that the issues had been raised to her prior as well. Um, Lacey's accused of grooming and soliciting nudes from underage fans earlier on in the band's career. Uh, He's also accused of sexual assault relating to one particular incident with one of these fans at a later age I think she was 18 at the time whom he escorted backstage and then who says the door was slammed shut and she was like pinned against the door uh, and groped the allegations include a lot of elements of coercion regarding you know things like threatening future access to the band of known nudes were forthcoming you know it's like oh well if you won't send me pictures I guess I won't be seeing you in such and such town you know kind of holding that over their heads um other aspects of allegations against him eh, include a fair number of discussions of online video chats where he was masturbating although i think in the interest of accuracy here it, it should be pointed out that as far as i'm aware all of those chats are alleged to have happened when these women were over legal age i think one of them was 22 or 23 at the time he's not been accused of having had you know masturbating video chats with anybody underage. uh but there's you know, there's there's a blurriness there, but you can find out quite a lot if you're curious. You know, Pitchfork did quite an in-depth thing about this at the time. Um, personally, I don't think there's much getting away from the fact that Lacey sounds like he had a period of being a real creep and indeed likely criminal conduct in the context of, you know, soliciting pornographic material uh, from minors and engaging them in conversations of a sexual nature. I don't think you can really refute that at all. The allegations are definitely serious enough to warrant us bringing them up, uh, to warrant their widespread discussion, uh, to draw attention to abuse of power and status, uh, which I think the danger being that if we didn't highlight the allegations with bands like this, there is a temptation to think that these sort of behaviours were rife, you know, within these big LA rock bands, hair metal, sleazy, dirty rock bands, overt rock misogynists. No, you know, it's it's also been endemic within these kind of outwardly more enlightened ranks of punk and emo. It, and maybe even slightly more pernicious because there is a sense of them being more progressive, you know,
0: of them of them being something more positive in society. Um, I mean, you say that, but I, mean, I guess Marissa did the whole thing on it about how they're misogynistic as fuck in the lyrics. Yeah. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword, right?
2: Yeah, they present themselves as being really sensitive and almost subordinate, but they... Yeah, at the end of the day, they do blame women for all their problems. And uh, it's also a monologue. Mm. So that also removes agency from all the accused women um, and the opportunity to respond. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mark, we,
1: we highlight that in the, the cancelled episode mm. that the profile of the victim tended to have a correlation with regards to the amount of justice the victims were afforded. Mm. You know, so Ryan Adams was, was a good example where there was actually quite a, a detrimental effect on his career versus R. Kelly, where the victim is
0: very v- much an unknown figure. Uh, and I know... You because of their age as well, anonymous, you know, which, yeah. thankfully, legally, they have to be, but... It comes by the agency, they have no agency, they can't control the narrative, even if the narrative is bad that people can just go squash it away and go by the music you know, and you can do art and artist and I guess we'll talk about that in a second So I, th- I think it'd be really interesting to exchange viewpoints here Marissa, okay,
1: because as a young white male that or at least I was a young white male at that time. Growing up in that 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 scene, there was very much a sense that we were on the right side of history. That people that were into that scene were quite welcoming of, like you know, the LGBT community. Not universally, but you know, generally speaking, mm-hmm. um, and that you know, it was a it was a much more liberated, cool, right on sort of liberal crowd that you were dealing with. And so as a result, I think I think it's it's difficult for people to go back and maybe reconcile how they felt about themselves with what was actually coming out mm-hmm. and 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 the kind of culture that was being nurtured within that scene um so i think there's a lot of dissonance still within young men from that era uh, and i also find it surprising i have to say uh, that i think like maybe eight to ten years prior to that so around about the nirvana era you had almost a much more concerted effort uh with regards to women's representation and women's rights and the way they were spoken about. And, you know, it seemed like it regressed slightly before it went, hopefully, before it started going forward again. But I'm curious about your take on that.
2: Yeah, I think that was just um, the male response to that wave of feminism. Um, the way to reconcile that is to victimise ourselves without actually benefiting women in any meaningful way, whereas it's benefiting a certain type of, of man or another type. But... I mean, I was I was the same. The the whole reason I I wrote these thesis was to make sense of my own feelings. I was very conflicted. Um, it made me question if I was being part of the problem. But the curious thing about emo and punk is that there is such a marked presence of women in the audience,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, in chat rooms, in in gigs, and those bands were not really called out until the me movement the meter movement happened. And I'm not sure why.
1: Yeah. I mean, it. it you know, what I mean, the emo male. It's it's an interesting beast. Mm. It really is. Like you know, that brand new, by virtue of Jesse's transgressions, sort of occupy a special place in that weird deluge of male self pity that the male that the emo movement sort of heralded. Um, I th- you know the commercial success of that movement sort of vindicated that manifestation of fragile masculinity you look at bands like glass jaw and those albums it's like if you're wailing and letting it all hang out and seeing these awful things it's kind of confused with being really in touch with your feelings and really earnest and really vulnerable like it's okay to see these awful things because you're just a guy that feels you know you feel and you're the real deal and you're not afraid to cry or at least complain and that's a really fucking Pitiful caricature to look back on but it was really fucking common um, I mean I don't think Brand New were necessarily the worst but I think they grew to represent one of the most glaring examples of that sort of narcissism and hypocrisy because of what came out about them I mean do, you, do either of you have any suggestions of perhaps worse examples of it? I mean we've spoken about Glassjaw quite a mm. few times but, but what other bands in the scene really epitomise that to you? Uh, All time low Jump
0: out at me <laughs> Immediately you me I've
2: been
0: you And it's actually quite funny Because uh, Marissa and I We did a Pop Punk night uh, And I think we played brand new And nobody said anything and played all time alone. Somebody walked up to us and goes, "You know, the, you know those guys are going to get cancelled because of all the allegations, don't you?" And I'm like, "Well, look, look, look at your audience, mate. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, like it's, I did not remember that as a straight white male. Um, Mark is highly
1: sensitised to threats of cancellation, so
0: he very, will very remember much so. them very clearly. Um, <laughs> and I think it, all, it really begins in that 1994 pop punk era with bands like The Offspring, right? That's where it begins, which is a, a complete kickback against Nirvana." Because it was like Uncle Ben had died. Are they? they are. I think, for, I think from a commercial perspective I can maybe right. say,
1: that if you said that maybe it was starting to cycle back, yeah, but I don't think they're a kickback they certainly stole a lot of the music and I think they tried to co-opt some of the sort of wokeness you know what I mean, in, in, in terms of like they, they, they came across as quite right on guys, mm-hmm. albeit as you say they were a bit more puerile and it was definitely starting to drift mm-hmm. a little I, I don't know if it was like a an, an absolute reaction I don't think it happened as suddenly as that a lot of these people I think mistakenly thought they were carrying on that spirit
0: I think uh, well Smash came out I think Smash came out the week that Kurt Cobain died so it came out quite a fortunate commercial period and obviously that was a huge influence on a lot of other bands like Blink-22 and next and so on and so forth. Who would go on to become huge. So whilst it might not necessarily be a musical kickback against that, I definitely think it's commercial kickback, which which has since benefited not just that kind of music, but the the kind of the bands we're talking about just now, the emo bands, you know, who like ride the coattails of pop punk. But in terms of in terms of like the
1: subject matters, I don't think Smash had any sort of like glaring. Moments that I can recall From it The way that some of the bands That followed it Definitely did Well I mean
0: The offspring would then go on To have like songs like She's Got Issues And oh, yeah. I mean, know, that's, that kind that of thing Absolutely you know, so, I, I totally um, agree
1: that it Got worse It's a straight line Yeah, yeah. It's, it's
0: definitely linear um, th- So they're a band The reason I bring it up Is because they're a band those, those middle albums Between Before they became Dad Rock basically um, and I've, not listened, I've not listened for a long time So I couldn't tell you If they still talk about that shit Probably do So they're not the worst But they're definitely up there Um Christ, there's just so many identical fucking mini men bands for that era that I just can't, I can't seem to pick one out because they're all a big fucking collage of beige. Was there ever anything
1: problematic about All American Rejects?
0: No, actually. Nah, I'll keep you my daughter little secret. Mm. <laughs> Probably.
1: Yeah, I'm just wondering if anybody escaped escape. <laughs> <unscathed. laughs>
0: the lead songwriter, I guess, and all American Rejects, is now, now a pop songwriter for hire. Yeah. Um, he was a ride. Yeah, that's probably why. God. You know,
1: here's the thing, though, right? Uh, for for all of we're trying to really call this out and confront it, uh, and you're talking about, for example, somebody coming up when you played all-time low at a club night, I would presume that for f- con- ongoing fans of brand-news work, it must be extremely galling to see... Jesse Lacey and his transgressions perpetually held up as an avatar for sexual misconduct um, in music but, and being lectured by fans of people like David Bowie. You know, like because it's never been called out or disappeared to the same extent. This, this obviously ties back to a recurring theme in this podcast, the total inconsistency in accountability and the subjective nature of these campaigns to shed light on abuses of power. I mean, in in the world of legal nuance and proportionate punishment, boy and many others stand accused of statutory rape, you know, like legends of that scene. Boasted about and were known for molesting and even abducting girls below legal age. Jimmy Page. Yeah, so whilst I've absolutely no time for Jesse Lacey, if you. Criticise Jesse Lacey if you go up to a DJ booth and piss him on about All Time Low, but give a pass to David Bowie or Iggy Pop. Mm-hmm. Fuck you! Like honestly, that's that's ridiculous and it's it's frustrating because consistency is key to these things. Otherwise, it's easier to shut these movements down when you're looking for restorative justice. You know, um, I think any moral leeway that you're willing to afford to yeah Iggy Pop, it can just as easily be afforded to Jesse Lacey who is accused of comparatively lesser crimes Iggy Pop is accused of statutory rape and then releasing famous songs boasting about statutory rape Mm -hmm. I just find that whole scenario really baffling
2: So
0: I guess uh, a part of this, this discussion which might be quite interesting as well is like the ability of people to separate the art from the artist Different generation of people who are willing to do it on an ad hoc, per person basis. Well,
1: it took Marissa an entire thesis to try and parse yeah.
0: her own thoughts
2: on it. Yeah, um, I also looked at fan responses on Reddit, um, on the the brand new subreddit, and how they responded to these allegations, um, and got some some interesting responses. I think that I came up with 12 coded categories different degrees of responses and different levels of separating the art from, oh, wow. from the artist, yeah. yeah. And, so from uh,
1: like complete denial to like complete acceptance to...
2: There were people that did not acknowledge was, what happened as sexual misconduct so they were not presented with the moral dilemma yeah. to begin with. um, And then there was just a lot of uh, back and forth about, yeah, um, historical context or degrees of sexual misconduct. Um, certain lyrics... Um, also, I think I think that's a very important argument: the the collectivity of um, a musical endeavor. Can you punish everyone in the band on the account of the actions of one member? We and have. I don't have the answer to that, but that yeah. I thought I thought that was a valid argument.
0: We have discussed this when it comes to lost yeah. profits, because yeah. I mean things were apparently someone someone that, that we know had commented in our exclusive Triple Facebook group uh, that. Uh, Apparently, the, the relationships in Lost Prophets were quite fractious towards the end, so it's quite likely that nobody knew how bad he was. But I find it hard to believe because I, I remember from the early, late 90s, maybe the early 2010s, like fucking message board threads going about, about him just being a really, like he's been a really dodgy cunt to women basically and um, that's not taking into account any of the any of the child molestation stuff but just basically being a bit of a fucking Yeah that, that, I mean, enemy, that, that so. stuff
1: is beyond the pale but I don't think when there's no smoke without fire and I, th- I honestly think if there were proper big time promoters listening to this who would be laughing at the naivety of us to think that there aren't loads of red flags mm-hmm. on the
0: road to something as mm-hmm. extreme as that I mean I mean, the, it just, uh, I'm not going to do this. I'm not really seriously doing this. If it was done online, then it's much easier to hide. Significantly I, easier to hide. Easier to hide potentially. Yeah, especially on the road. But see, for
1: example, I, I, there was always this big discussion around about Razor Light and Johnny Borrell and Johnny Borrell because he supposedly would, you know, swagger into like, rooms boasting about how young the girl that he just got off with was. And there's so many accounts of bands with roadies and stuff who have little kind of backhand deals. Like, go oh, you find me like the, the hottest young thing you can find. Mm-hmm. And you hear stories, even just domestically, about Facebook groups of bands trading photos of groupies that are underage and laughing at who can get the youngest one. I mean, this kind of thing was, is, and will continue to be rife to some extent, unfortunately. And I just... Yeah, you're right. It feels wrong in some respects to to tie a band in with this. But, see, having been in a band with people, a number of bands, I find it very hard to believe that any of those bands could have done any of that stuff without us at least having a suspicion Mm -hmm. of highly
0: problematic behaviour. I mean, I can see your point. I haven't been in bands myself. But I guess there's a certain level of fame where you you might not necessarily be interacting with your bandmates on a regular basis Possibly. anymore. You know, on a daily basis because you're not even sharing a bus at this point. You're fucking, you're going to hotels and your crew are driving overnight and then you're just getting there however you can the next day when your shows are that big. You know what I mean? I don't know, man. I or even even word, separate buses, which does happen as well. Word yeah. spreads. People walking in, in backstage rooms and people
1: being told to, you know, go off the bus, give me two hours. and Like, I really think that's a very naive perspective on it what are your feelings marissa in terms of how the
2: rest of the band should be treated i with? mean i i can only speculate and i really can't it's interesting how um i don't think anyone in the band has issued a comment or a statement
0: yeah they um, haven't mm.
2: so i don't know what that says about the situation yeah they
0: were actually um i think it was maybe maybe last year the four of them were actually pictured together and um, because they're still friends and uh, jesse Lee's wife still has an instagram because i think she's a uh, She's an artist of some kind, or she's a creator, and so she does regularly post photos of just like life, and he's in them because it's her husband. you know what I mean? Yeah. And they all went away f- to somebody's house, and they were all there, like just f- as friends, you know, just like having dinner. And there's a photo of the four of them together. Everyone was like, "Is that me and are coming back?" <laughs> no, nah, absolutely not. Probably well, not like, the case. But that you leads know. On to the whole other issue of like, is there any potential for redemption, and the whole
1: criminal justice system? If it's invoked, the whole idea is that yeah, you do earn
0: redemption, restore, restore justice, contrition. yeah. But he, did he ever face that? Well, he, he gave one of the self-serving apologies, quite a quite a lengthy one. Would you say it was self-serving? Yeah, which what? never referenced any of the allegations. E-
2: exactly. Exactly. He again, he just he just tried to victimize himself. He was he went on about his sex addiction and how he um, sought treatment for that. And um, okay, <laughs> yeah, G- good. It's, what what does that have to do with anything? It's just a little bit cheap, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And
0: it, yeah. So maybe he, maybe he sees the folly in that and knows they can't come back. Did you not yeah. say they're still getting like a good million... Yeah, they still get a million, over just over a million listens a month on Spotify. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're maybe maybe not making a living from it, but I guess they've probably made enough money throughout their career that they aren't... Do you think if
1: I'm less some kids, I can get a million
0: listeners on Spotify a month? You can... <laughs> I'm not going to say what I was going to say You'd yeah. <laughs> have to cut it out um, But like no
2: For this particular case I think you might be right um, Because Kevin Devine Who was touring with them Before their tour was cancelled issued a statement Saying something along the lines of Support victims um, Speak against Abuse of power Yeah Martha um, dropped out of those shows as well Yeah and um, Kevin
0: Devine and Jesse Lacy Were great great pals you Yeah know, really, close, really close friends And they might still be um, publicly you can say you support victims And still believe that and still be friends with somebody Because you believe in the capacity for a human being to change Yeah, the thing is, on a, on a friendship basis It is
1: completely understandable To embrace a friend who's Committed some awful deed With a view to accepting that And facing it and overcoming it But on a commercial basis It's somewhat different There's mm-hmm. a contract, there's a role model thing There's being rewarded for bad behaviour And stuff, it's, it's a different conversation It's not personal, it's just business Hmm.
0: alright folks we're going to just stop it there for a wee second because we could go on for a fucking hours and we might uh, so we'll come back next week and we'll talk a little bit more about Brand New and ruining Marissa's childhood